Jeremiah 46 and verse 10. Notice the term. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries, and the sword shall devour, and it shall be satiate and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts hath a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you tell us these things. You prove your worth to us. You prove your faithfulness to us. And Father, we thank you that we can rely on your word without any shadow of turning and without wrath or doubting. We thank you, Lord, that your word is quick and powerful and that is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, that your word will pierce every heart, the Christian heart and the non-believing heart. We thank you, Lord, that your word warns us, that your word teaches us, that your word reproves us, that your word may even rebuke us. But in all things, Father, as your children, Lord, your word is given to us to do us good and to instruct us in the ways of the Lord our God. Father, this is the day which you have made for this word to go forth. And these are the people you have ordained to be in this house and to hear this message. So now, Father, glorify your name and speak loud, speak clear, speak in however, Lord, you see fit. But we pray that you'd speak to all of our hearts and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For in his name we ask it, and for his glory. Amen. We titled this, What Day Is It? This is the day. And our verse that we had read, or that I had read out from Psalm 118 and verse 24, very popular and well-known verse. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And every day is the day that the Lord has made. There's many days you just haven't arrived in yet. Tomorrow is the day which the Lord hath made. We just haven't arrived there yet. But there are specific days which the Lord hath made and hath told us about that we're moving toward, that he has warned us of. And there are days of rising up in victory. There are days of trials and there are days of warning. We looked last week at Judges 4 and verse 14. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? Remember, Deborah was a prophetess. She was a judge and a ruler in Israel. And Deborah turns to Sisera, one of the captains of the chiefest of the armies of Israel, who seems to be deflated because the enemy had come in like a flood, as it were. And now Deborah has seen through her prophetic gift that the Lord has ordained a day when a certain thing would happen and victory would come to God's people. 
Now I notice what we touched on last week, we won't go through it all. But Deborah, we looked at the different prophetesses in Scripture where they spoke of God's word and God's blessing. They spoke of God's providence, but they spoke of God's wrath and judgment also. Prophetesses, now I remember. Remember Philip's daughter, daughters, four daughters, they prophesied also in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, verses eight, <clears throat> excuse me, 8 to 9. You'll read of them. We looked at Huldah, and we'll maybe mention her in a moment, in 2 Kings 22, and she prophesied of Josiah's demise. And of course, before that, we had Miriam, the sister of Aaron and Moses. In Exodus 15, she was a prophetess who took timbrels and she danced and sang before the Lord. Anna was in the temple at the dedication of our Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. So we looked at different things to do with women and prophesying and the gift of prophecy. Deborah in Judges chapter 4, Deborah means bee, honeybee as a buzzy bee, and she pollinated Israel with the word of God. A deflated people, a people who had come under enemy rule and reign and, and terror, and she populated them with the word of God, or pollinated them with faith. She went from person to person, from city to city, in her role as a judge in Israel, as a ruler, but also as a prophetess. And she brought the word of God in order that they would receive it by faith and rise up, for this is the day. This is the day that the Lord will give you victory, she says. And she comes to this man, Barak. And Barak, being the chief captain of Israel's army, she says, get up, Barak, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. And remember, Sisera means battle array or battlefield, that the Lord has delivered the battle into your hands. And it took him to rise up in faith and to understand that it was the Lord, she says, has gone out before thee. And he grasped hold of that by faith. And he took the word of God and he acted upon the word of God and he defeated the armies. In fact, the Lord had sent a woman to drive a tent peg, as it were, through the very temples of the head of his arch enemy, right into the ground. We talked about it last week. We haven't time to go into it. So here's where we are, that when there's a certain day for breakthrough, there's a certain day for you to rise up in faith. There's a certain day for you to take the word of God and believe it with all your heart and defeat the enemy, for God has already gone before you, and the Lord has already spoken to you of it, and told you of it, declared it and decreed it, that you are victorious in him, that he has already given the battle into your hands. Now rise up and go. If you want to sit, and if you want to become someone who's a defeated Christian, you want to sit, and you want to become someone who has become so purposeless in their life that they feel there's nothing left for them, you can do that. But the Lord has given you victory in the name of his Son. And the Lord has given you victory through the blood of his Son. And the Lord has gone before you. And in fact, Deborah says, a question was, is not the Lord gone before thee? In other words, you need to look yourself, Barak. You need to see yourself, Barak. You need to see what God has done. He's gone before you. You need to understand God has brought someone along the line of your enemy to drive a tent peg through his, through his very head, to pit him to the ground, that he would never, ever come against you again. Now, do you believe God's going to do this? 
Now, Barak didn't know, we're not told anyhow, that he knew that this was going to happen. But he had to believe that God had went ahead of him and that God would do it for him. And he rose up and Israel became great again in the land. Are you going to rise up? Are you going to be victorious in the name of the Lord tonight? Will you take hold of his word and take it into your hearts? So last week, that's where you were. Second one we want to look at is in Jeremiah 46 and verse 10. Notice what the prophet's saying here. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries, and the sword shall devour, and it shall satiate and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts hath a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Here we have a day of vengeance prophesied by a weeping prophet, Jeremiah. Here we have a day of vengeance and it was the Lord had said that he was going to do something before the eyes of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Israel are gone now, carried away captive, dispersed. But Judah are still here. And he says, I'm going to do something in your midst. And I want you to stand back because there's two great opposing enemy powers who are lording over my people, he says. He says, now I want you to watch what I do. I want you to take note that I'm going to move on your behalf. I'm going to release you from your enemy. I'm going to release you from your captive. All you need to do, Judah, is to keep your eyes on me. All you need to do is stand still as they did at the Red Sea and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord says, I will do it. I am going to do it. Let me give you an idea of this prophecy or this word was given. Egypt was, as we know, a great empire. And another great empire was the Babylonians and the Assyrians who grew out of that afterwards. But the Babylonians... They had came around the fertile crescent to where Syria is today, and they had taken over Syria. And Pharaoh Nietzsche of Egypt had come up to the river Euphrates. And that's why in uh, Jeremiah 46 and verse 10, it says at the end of the verse, For the Lord God of hosts hath a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. The idea here is it's not a sacrifice of worship. For there's going to be a sword bathed in blood. And it's not a Holy Ghost sword bathed in blood. It's going to be a humanistic sword. It's going to be a sword that is not of God's people nor for God's people. It's going to be ungodly men and women. And the Lord says, their heart will be made known. The wickedness of man's heart is great. And I'm going to show you that they hate one another as depraved humanity. He says to Judah, now you stand back. Oh, you see, but the Babylonians are on one side, this great empire. And when we go to the other side, Egypt to the south of us, this great colossus or king in the north or in the, in the south, and they're under, under pressure all the time. There are little Judah, just two little tribes left. We think of them as it is the house of Judah or the tribe of Judah and the little tribe of Benjamin. Sure, they're, they're small and there's nothing there to defend themselves. They do their best, but they're under servitude all the time and they're of a nervous disposition, as it were. God says, listen, I will release you. If you trust me, he says, I will release you from your captive. I will turn the enemy around. 
But you must trust me. Brother, can I ask you a question? Do you trust him? Sister, do you trust him? Do you trust him to work out your situations for you? Do you trust him to turn things around for you? The Lord says, this is the day. Listen, he says, I will turn it around. He says, if you trust me and leave it with me and don't get involved in it, he says, I will do it for you. You need to leave it with me, saith the Lord. I notice this. Pharaoh Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche had camped with his armies at the river Euphrates. And the idea was that he would go up and dispose or put out the Babylonians from Syria. And the Lord, as being governor of the nations, he was the one who was allowing this to happen. He was standing back, and he's the one who causes all causes. He is sovereign over all things. And he says, Israel, Judah, don't you fear and don't you fret. I am in control, and it looks like there's going to be bloodshed everywhere. And there's going to be a great sacrifice of men and women up around Syria. He says, but you're my people, and I will keep you in this tribulation. Keep your eyes on me. So Pharaoh Nietzsche, Nietzsche goes up and he, he goes up to fight with the, the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king, would later come around the very top and have battle. And Egypt conquered Syria and the Babylonians and they took over. They were the recipients of God's vengeance through proxy, that is, same proxy through uh, Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, would remove... Egypt in a later stage, he would come round and remove them again. But here is what happened. Josiah, the king of Judah in Jerusalem. Josiah, who was a good king. Josiah, who was a reformer king who wanted to worship Jehovah. See, the Lord came and he says, Josiah, he says, I'm going to do this, but don't get involved. I'll do it, but watch me, trust me. But Josiah, being a human being, Josiah being a, a child of God like you are and I am, who, who like to do things our way and tell God how to do it and how to answer prayer, Josiah decides to get involved. And he goes on the Babylonian side to fight against Pharaoh Nietzsche. Pharaoh Nietzsche becomes the victor. The Babylonians are disposed, they're put out of Syria. Syria. And they turn around now and, the, and guess who they're looking at next? Josiah. Josiah the king in Jerusalem. You see the Lord saying, oh, Josiah, I told you that the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord. But you got involved. You allowed your flesh to take over. You allowed man's mentality to grab hold. You thought you knew better than the Lord your God. Huldah, who we read about earlier on, the prophetess comes and she prophesies to Josiah. He didn't listen. So the Lord stood back and Pharaoh Nietzsche's army went down into Jerusalem and they became tributary. They became slaves, as it were, but allowed to stay in their land and they they became tributary where they paid taxes and, and he put another king and he killed Josiah. In fact, Huldah says you're not going to see more bloodshed. The Lord says he loves you too much, so he's going to take you home. Can you imagine that being a blessing from God? 
Just yesterday morning, I was in Newton Abbey at a funeral of a young woman. She was only 33 years of age. She was diagnosed in August with cancer, and she was dead and buried yesterday. Beautiful young woman. It got to the point where she fought and she fought and she fought. She was strong. And we're told as one of the pastors were speaking about her, she knew her time was up and she called him and she says, you know, there's nothing more you can do for me. I've had enough. She wanted to go. And sometimes... As much as it hurts, it works out better. We've got to let them go. Here, Josiah, the Lord says, it's better for you to be with me from what you're going to see that comes next, son. Here we have the Lord and his sovereignty. Here we have the Lord saying, I am God. Obey my word. And so Josiah dies. And Jehoiakim is the next in line. And he bows to the will of Egypt. And Egypt placed him up as a king. So Jehoiakim is now ruling in Josiah's stead. As you listen, Christian, here's what I've written. For those of you who are looking to do what God has told you to leave, for those of you who are looking to do and add to what God has already done, for those of you who are thinking, I'll do it my way and not his way, for those of you who are wrestling with the will of God in your life and the word of God for instruction in your life, here is the word of the Lord to you this evening. Leave it with him and don't take it back again. Let God deal with it his way. This is the day, he says, I will take that off your shoulders. I will destroy the yoke from off your neck. I will take the enemy from off your back. He says, it is mine anointing that destroyeth the yoke, saith the Lord. He says, leave it with me. But we like to take it like old Abraham in Genesis chapter 16. Here we have Abraham full of faith. And being full of faith, his wife, Sarah, cannot have any children. And he sends, she sends him on to Hagar. And Hagar, and he has a child called Ishmael. It wasn't that God couldn't do it. It was impatience. It was man thinking, I'll give God a helping hand here. It's man thinking, I can do this. And look what I can do, Lord. You're saying I can do it. I'm going to do it in my name. But what about his name? Ishmael is born, and look at the trouble we're in today. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs today. Leave it with God. Leave it into his care. Leave it in his keeping. God knows best for all of our lives. And when you're weak and you're weary, leave that with him too. He knows best. I must run on. Briefly here. So listen, Christian, leave that man, that woman, leave that person who is making your life a living hell. Leave that situation, that boss that's really getting to you. Leave them with God and say, well then, Lord, I'll leave this one in your hands. In fact, don't pray for fire to come down from heaven. Jesus said unto James and John, you know what, not what manner of spirit you're off. Pray the Lord will bless them. 
For if God blesses them, you know what will happen? The joy of the Lord will be their strength. And they'll start to bless you in return. If they start to know the blessing of the Lord in their life. Leave that boss, leave that neighbor, or leave them or it, whatever it is that is on your back, that is getting on your nerves, that is frightening you and causing you to fret. Leave them with the Lord. Those who have robbed you, used you, and abused you, leave them with him. He, he will take a dealing in the situation. Leave them with the Lord. Do not panic and do not fear. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, said the psalmist. But you say, like Psalm 56 and verse 2, Oh, mine eyes daily would swallow me up, for there be many that fight against me, O thou most high. You see, here is the conundrum of this verse. We go, oh, mine enemies would swallow me up, Lord. You don't know how many of them there are. Lord, it's too great for me. It's too strong for me. Such said Judah between two giants of empires. A little nation, unable and incapable, and in between these two shoulders. Lord, but do you understand? Do you know what we're going through? Listen. Listen to what they say. Man would swallow me up, for they that be many have fight against me, O thou most high. In other words, do you believe he is the most high? Do you believe in his sovereign will? Do you believe that he is almighty God? Do you believe that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask or think? For if you and I really, truly, and honestly believe it, then we can say, Lord, many are they that would swallow me up, but you are my God, and I'm leaving them with you. And that's what we do. Leave them, leave her, leave them in the hands of the Lord. Leave that situation in his hands, yielding to his sovereignty, because that's you being humble. Being humble isn't walking around with a shroud over our back and a hood over our heads and a hump on our back and saying, oh, poor me, woe is me. That's not being humble. Humble is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humbling yourself is to get down spiritually on your knees and say, Lord, I am nothing. You are everything, and I leave it all in your hands. It's out of my hands. I can't do anything about it. Praise God for that. And maybe you put it into his. Put it into his. Judah, leave it with me. There's a sacrifice. In other words, there's going to be a battle. And it's up by the river Euphrates. Pharaoh, Nietzsche, and his armies are encamped. And the Babylonians will be removed. But he got involved. Swung the whole thing around. Now Pharaoh has placed a new king, Josiah, in his place. You may say there's many enemies. Listen to what Psalm 70, 18 rather, and verse 48 says. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Christian, don't you quote that going home tonight? He delivereth me from mine enemies. 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 Yea, thou liftest me up against those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Notice that. No matter what your situation is, thou hast delivered me. Let's read the two verses, but notice this. Psalm 56 and 2. Mine enemies will daily swallow me up. 
for they be many that fight against me. Luke, notice, mine, me, and me. Mine, me, and me, he says. Now look what he says in Psalm 18, verse 48. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Thou liftest me up from those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. It's thee, thou, and thy. Lord, it's all about you. See, when our eyes are on ourselves and when our eyes are on our circumstances and our situations, when our eyes are on the devil and not on the Lord, that's when you see me, me, and me. Me, myself, and I. And then we see ourselves and our inabilities and our incapabilities. And we say, Lord, man, would swallow me up. And we're fearful and we start feeling down. But when we leave it into God's hands, we see him and keep our eyes fixed on Christ. It's thy Lord, thy Lord, thy Lord. It's all of you. Lord, it's in your hands. It's in your hands, Lord. And you'll deliver me. Notice this. And... Psalm 23 and verse 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, or anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Here's your enemies all around, and the Lord's feeding you. The Lord is feasting you at his table. Oh, you see, one old writer once, I remember him writing, said, When the sheep are feeding, the shepherd is feeding. And you can sit at peace, and you can sit at rest. For whenever you and I find ourselves in that place when the sheep are feeding, you can eat. The shepherd is fighting your cause. And you sit. I'm conscious what I'm saying because we have people going through this at the moment and I've done it. You sit beside a loved one who's fading in front of you. Many of us have done it. It's hard. It's terrible hard. But you know, sometimes we take it on ourselves, and I did too. I took on a responsibility that didn't belong to me. Because when I passed into eternity, the guilt then became mine, became me. Let me release not only those I speak of, but all who hear this, leave it in his hands. Leave it in his hands. He is sovereign God. Jesus says, by taking thought, that is anxious thought, you will not add one cubit or even an inch to your stature. You're not going to worry yourself taller. And neither can we do any more than leave it in the hands of our loving Almighty God, who knows if he will turn and leave a blessing behind him. Jeremiah 46 and 10 says, This is the day of vengeance of the Lord, God of hosts. A day of vengeance. Notice this. Sadly, King Jehoiakim, whom Pharaoh Necho had set up as king of Judah, after Josiah had died, he didn't leave it to God either. War broke out when Nebuchadnezzar, as I said, later came. And war broke out again against Egypt. And what did Jehoiakim do? He did what his father Josiah did. He decided to give God a hand. We need to learn from past mistakes. 
We need to learn from that which did not work before to what is working now. We need to take the word of God for what it is and what it says and what he has told us and believe him for everything that he will perform that which he has said. Here, Jehoiakim says, I'm going in. And he fights on the side of Egypt this time. And fighting on the side of Egypt against Nebuchadnezzar, what happens? Nebuchadnezzar wins. And the Babylonians take over and they come right down through northern Israel and right into Jerusalem. Jehoiakim is killed and thrown over the walls of Jerusalem. Zedekiah is then set up. And oh dear, if he had just left it alone, Jehoiakim and Josiah before him, if they just left well enough alone and left it in the hands of the Lord, For when Zedekiah came, here is Zedekiah's epitaph. This is what it says. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He brought evil right into Judah. He brought evil right into Jerusalem. And everywhere you went, there was evil. Oh, Zedekiah. He was later taken by those whom he served, i.e. Nebuchadnezzar. And as we read of Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all going in. They were the, the cream of the crop of the aristocracy and of, the, of the, 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 the intelligence, if you want, of Judah at the time. They're taken away in one of the deportments first into Babylon. And then later, Zedekiah is brought in with his sons, the princes. And they take Zedekiah and they line his sons up before him and they kill every one of his sons before his eyes. Then they take the hot irons and they burn out his two eyes. The last thing that Zedekiah remembered was the death of his sons. Burned into his very mind. Burned into his memory. Zedekiah would never get rid of that picture again. Zedekiah, we're told, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know who was uh, Zedekiah's counselor? Jeremiah the prophet. He didn't listen to the word of God. You go to Lamentations chapter 2, there's bloodshed happening. If they just left it to God and didn't get involved, there's bloodshed happening. And Lamentations chapter 2, from chapter 1, obviously, right through, but listen to what verse 16 says. Here's another one. This is the day that we have looked for. We have found. We have seen it. Do you know who's reported to have I don't mean Jeremiah writing that, where he got that from. The Babylonians. Listen, see if they don't know their God, we'll go in and take over. Why do you think our nation is overrun with Islamic powers now? Think about it. Why do you think our nation is no longer the head but the tail? Why do you think in our nation they're they're able to stand in the hearts of our cities and cry for our British troops to burn in hell? You know why? Because see, if we don't know who our God is, they're going to take advantage of it. And they'll say, this is the day. It's our day. That's what they said, the Babylonians. This is the day. They didn't listen to their own gods. Now we will take over. 
And if you and I don't listen to the Word of God, and if you're unsaved or backslidden tonight, and you don't listen to the Word of God, and you don't come at the call of God and the move of God in your heart, you know what's going to happen? The devil will say, this is the day that I'll draw her away. This is the day when I'll speak death to them. This is the day when I'll lure them away into depravity. This is the day. And I wonder, Paul says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. This is the day that we have looked for. You know the devil's looking to do you harm. Oh, he'd love to see you fall. And he'd love to see you hurt. And he'd love to see you wayward. He'd love to see you run away. He'd love to see you fall away from Christ. He'd love to see you go into pieces. He'd love to see you sitting at home and not being out at your meetings. He'd love to see you staying away from the word of God. He would love to. And he'd say, oh, this is the day. This is why Jeremiah had seen that the enemy was thinking of God's people. Fallen Judas carried away captive. So Christian, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the voice of the Spirit of God and don't give the enemy the victory tonight. Do you hear that? Don't give the enemy the victory. Don't give the enemy any victory. He's already defeated. He knows he hath but a short time. He's already under your feet. Don't neither give place to the devil, as Paul says. Put it like that. Don't give him a foothold. Rather, give yourself afresh to Christ again. Lay it all at his feet. Let us keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus that we may declare in praise and worship the victory. This is the day that we would declare. This is the day that we have looked for. We have found and seen it. Press on, press in, keep trusting and believing. Psalm 37 and verse 5 tells us what to do. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now, we're moving on to one more, but this is going to be briefly, and I'm going to do, I've done most of it from memory anyhow, but I'm going to do most of this from memory. This is not going to be an exhaustive thing I'm going to bring to you at the minute. We're going to do a series maybe after the new year on this. Ezekiel chapter 39, please. Ezekiel chapter 39. Here we're looking at a reading. Oh, 2,500, 2,600 years ago. A man who had been away with this captivity, sitting by a river Chebar and around that area, coming from the house of Judah, carried away captive. He sees many visions. He sees the vision of the glorious man also, as it's known. But notice what it says here. Ezekiel 39, please. We'll just lift a verse out. Verse 8. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. Let's read it again. Behold, It has come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. This verse hasn't happened yet. But it's coming. 
It's a prophetic word for the latter years, the last days. Behold, it is come, it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. It's as sure to come as the other days that we have spoken of. But this is the day which the the blood-bought, redeemed saints of the Most High God, the Ecclesia, the Ecclesia Church, that is the called-out ones, will rejoice and be glad, and we will say, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. For this is the day of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day or the time of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will come, King of kings and Lord of lords. He whose right it is to reign will come for his own. I want to show you how close we are. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. Turn with me to Ezekiel 38. I'm going to throw a few things out where we are at the minute. Say This is only a brief thing to throw it out to finish this word off. Verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields and all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with, with them, all of them with shield and helmet, and Gomer and all his bands, a house of Togarma, the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them." After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Notice that. In the latter years thou shalt come into a land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall come to pass that at the same time things shall come into thy mind and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up unto the land of unwalled villages. I will go unto them that are at rest and dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. To take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it, and thou shalt come up out of thy place out of the north parts. Notice where it's from, out of the north parts. Thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. We'll stop there for time's sake and read on when you go home. What is this all about? 
whenever the prophet is being told us, remember it's two and a half thousand years ago. And it is a well-known thing that there are some of these nations which we are trying to still identify uh, for we know there's a little bit of squabbling goes on between theologians who who is who in this. But the main thrust of it goes like this. And we can see it developing in our world today. And it has been for many years. The Lord says in verse 2, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. The chief prince is the chief prince of Rosh. That's what it means. Or the chief prince of what we are explained as is the chief prince of Rosh or Russia. The north parts, directly north, it's a Magog. Magog means giant, massive, colossal. The giant, massive colossus to the very north of the land of Israel is Russia. Of course, there's more than Russia to deal with this. Now, when you're looking at this, look at the confederacies that are lining up even in the world this very day. So we have Meshach and Tubal. Tobolsk is over near the, the, the Caspian Sea, near the, 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 the area of Ukraine, away over that direction. And Moscow is, is Meshach, believed to be Meshach. Tobolsk is Tubal, and Meshach is Moscow, which many, most people do believe in. Now notice this. Verse 5, listen who's coming. Persia. You know who Persia are? Persia is Iran. In fact, Persia is greater than Iran. It takes in Iraq also, the original Persia. Persia is Iran. Notice when I want Ethiopia. Ethiopia is not just the country of black Africa, as it were, Ethiopia. Ethiopia is many of the northern half or northern part of Africa where there's a lot of Islamic movement you can see today on your news. Notice this also on Libya. Straightforward. With them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, and the house of Togarma of the north quarters. Gomer, all his bands, the house of Togarma from the north quarters. Now, Gomer is a little bit, uh, one of those ones is hard to decipher. Some say Gomer is Germany. But others say it's East Germany for some reason, and others say it is part of Turkey. But the house of Tagarma is where we get the name Turk from, the derivative of it. In other words, it's the Turkish peoples. You have the house of Tagarma, which would be Turkey, and all those bands. You have the Stan countries, Turkestan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan. All those Stan countries are of a Turkish sort of people. And they're all the north quarters, if you look at a map, and they're all Islamic gathering together. Even the very eastern side of Russia. You go right into northern Mongolia. A vast amount of it is now Islamic. Do you know there are 60 million Muslims in Russia? That's the amount of people in Great Britain almost. I notice this. It says, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, all of them with seal. And then whenever you go on down... Let your eye run down. There's going to be, it says, the first nine, thou shalt ascend and come like a, a storm. And thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. In other words, the, it's going to be a vast and a massive army. 
Notice what it says then. It comes to take a spoil. Verse 13, there's another confederacy mentioned. You'll notice this. Before we read this confederacy, let me give you a little idea of how Russia can be linked with Iran. Russia has been Iran's brains in their nuclear arms race. Russia has given them their intelligence and their capability to build their reactors. Russia is the ones who have been supplying them with arms. Syria, Syria are a country who are aligned with Iran. And Syria and Iran are of the same ethnic Muslim religion. And here's the thing, now that there's this war going on, they're trying to bring, remember, Iran into Syria with ISIS there. And so Russia have withdrawn and says they won't have sanctions against Syria before the ISIS movement. They wouldn't have sanctions. China said the same. China wouldn't go near it. And uh, the West wanted sanctions, but the, uh, these others didn't want them. Why? Because the Bible tells us they start to form confederacies in the world. I notice what happens here. We have Russia and Iran. We have Syria. We have Turkey. Turkey are trying to enter the European Union. And see if the European Union have any brains at all, they'll not let them in. Because they're going to have a, another 60 million Muslims in the European Union. Making decisions for Europe, flooding the nations. I notice this. Verse 13, Sheba and Dedan. These are really elusive. There are Sheba and Dedan in the the book of Genesis. I I can't go into it all today, but many people think they may be some of the, uh, the, the Arab states who are allies to Britain and America at this time. Sheba and Dedan. Notice, and the merchants of Tarshish. And the merchants of Tarshish. Now, Tarshish people say it's Tartessus in southern Spain. But here, the merchants gives the idea of a great, mili- a great naval power, a great naval fleet. And many years ago, Spain were known for a naval fleet. And it's meant to be around the south but of Spain, some say. But you know, Tarshish means smelting. Smelting to smelt iron, to smelt and so on. And Britain, the British Isles, was known for its great naval power. The British Isles was known that ruled Britannia, Britannia ruled the waves. The latter years, remember, and Britain still got a great navy, one of the best trained navies in the whole world, one of the best trained armies in the whole world, actually the best trained army in the whole world. But nevertheless, here we have the merchants of Tarsus from the Isles of Smelting. Do you know that there were smelting tin and iron from Britain for thousands of years. For thousands of years. It can mean also that the Straits of Gibraltar, the Rock of Gibraltar, are also British. Rock of Gibraltar, by the way, used to be called the Gates of Hell. Did you know that? If you go there, you can read that today. I read it a few years ago. You go right up into the center of the rock and there's a big drop, big black drop. And Plato and others from the Greek, uh, from Greek bygone days used to call it the gates of hell. I wonder even, I know there's a literal what they call gates of hell in the north of the land of Israel. But I'm wondering at some point with all this trade movement, I wonder would there even have been a thought, this is just a thought, that the gates of hell were outside of the pillars of Hercules or the Straits of Gibraltar. 
because Jonah ran the fleet of Tarsus. He ran on his ship, and they believed then, away in Jonah's day, all the, all the heathen believed that if you're outside that Mediterranean circle of the Mediterranean Sea, that you were outside of God's presence. So he had to go through the pillars of Hercules. The flee from the presence is what you would call of God. Here we have the merchants of Tarsus and all the young lands. The young lands come because they come from the motherland. They're the cubs of the motherland. All the young lions thereof. Of course, the British Commonwealth of Nations, including the United States, which was birthed out of this nation too. So here we have another confederacy. And he says, and they will say, Art thou come to take a spoil? Can you see it forming? Do you know the American Fifth? American Fifth Fleet has been around by the United Arab Emirates Seas or this, this Persian Gulf there for a lot of years now, waiting. They're still there. Do you know Revelation 16 says about talking about making and preparing the way for the kings of the east? Do you know that China has built a, a, a big highway, a big straight road, and it's called the Eighth Wonder of the World. And it's right through Pakistan, heading towards Iran to move their trucks and their troops right the whole way down quickly. Do you know that they've actually bought in Freetown, they have taken over 55 miles on the Bahamas, 55 miles from the coast of Florida, that the Chinese have bought up a lot of land and they've, bought a great, they've built a great seaport there now. And they're now playing billions of, 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 of pounds, if you want, into, into the southern American uh, uh, states there, the southern American, sorry, uh, of South America. Billions worth. You know why they're buying them? And they're starting to trade in oil different. Do you know why Saddam Hussein was taken and hung? Do you know why the armies went in there? I'll tell you why. They went in because there was greedy warmongers from Great Britain and the United States. And they went in. Now, let me say this. I completely 100% support our troops. I support our troops. I'm behind them 100%. But we have men in government who use our young men and women for cannon fodder. They send them there and they come home in boxes. And they sent them in because... It was nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction. I'll tell you what it was to do with. Saddam Hussein was going to change from the petrodollar. That is, that is the dollar that America uh, uh, buys around the world with and sells all of the oil with. They're going to change from that to either the euro or the yen. And don't forget it was Britain and America who set Saddam Hussein in his place. They went in and says, he's got to go. He's got to go. That's what's happening in the Middle East. And there's young families and innocent Muslim men and women being slaughtered there because of these men and they're hungry for power. They're hungry for all this money and oil. So here we have the Lord says, now notice this. The Lord says in chapter 39, you can read on when you go home. Chapter 39, we're, running, we're closing this up. Verse 8. Behold, it has come, it has done, saith the Lord. This is the day where I have spoken. The Lord is going to come a time when the Lord says, enough is enough. Enough is enough. These nations are going to come. First of all, they'll turn toward the land of Israel. And I believe they'll go over the Arctic. Do you know in the last week that American fighter jets have had to be scrambled off the Gulf Coast? In the last fortnight or three weeks maybe it is now, British fighter jets had to be scrambled in British airspace. 
Don't hear much about that. Do you know that Brit- American warships have had to go around and set off the Chinese coast of Taiwan? Because the Chinese now are going to try and take over the whole of the Pacific Ocean. And they're sitting there waiting. Everything is forming up and coming together. The Guadar seaport is a massive, probably the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest seaport now built in the world at the very coast of Iran. Did Iran build it? No. China built it. And they have military power there, and they say they'll back Iran up when there comes a war. Everything is forming together. Everything is coming together. It's like Judah, you have Egypt here, and Judah, you have the Babylonians here in the Syria where they've taken over. The Lord says, look, come out from among them. Come out and be separate. Come out and shut thy doors about thee. And know what we're doing? We're spreading ourselves thin. We're spreading ourselves thin on the ground where we can't cope anymore. You're slaves to the debt traders now. And now the people are finding that there's no jobs, there's no prosperity. The people are finding they're under servitude. And the people are saying to our government, they're saying to our queen, will you stand up and will you call on the name of the Lord? The Lord says that he would do it. It's time we pulled our young soldiers home and says, you know what, let them get on with it. And let us pray. Let us pray. Call a national day of prayer. You see, Judah, Josiah, Jehoiakim, later Zedekiah, they thought they would help. They thought, well, you know, we can do it. We can police the world. We can do it. We can make it better. I'm going to tell you something. Note this Bible tells me. This Bible tells me that before the coming of the Lord, these things are going to come to pass. The Bible tells me that war, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, that nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The Bible tells me that when these things begin to come to pass, that you're not a panic Christian, but you're to look up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is at the doors. This is the day, he says. It's coming to that day, and you better be ready. You better be saved. Born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood. I'm going to do a series again on it sometime soon. I'll bring you all facts and figures. It wasn't the night for it. I wanted to just link that in to show you, you know, if Judah had to listen, you keep worshiping me. You keep faithful to me. You keep your eyes on me. And I'll keep you. Lord, I think I'll fight. I think I'll get my pound of flesh. I think I'll tread on my own strength. He says, no, no, trust me. But they didn't. See, if Britain would just trust the Lord, he would raise them up to great heights again, which they were before. There wouldn't be any debt in our nation. Hey, another thing, there's another young man, British man, had his head cut off today. Oh, Jesus, come soon. Father, we pray that you would send your son. We pray, Lord, that you would turn us again back to the God of our fathers. We pray, oh Lord, that revival blessing would come into the church. And Lord, that we would be the body of Christ to take it to the nation. That, O oh Lord, you would give those who are in power, 
You would give our queen, Lord, that you've sat on that anointed throne. Lord, that you would give her wisdom, Lord, that you would give her courage to stand up and proclaim a day of fasting and prayer and mourning, Father, before your throne, that we would turn again our faces to you, that the churches would be filled with men and women seeking the face of God. Lord, you've done it in the past. You can do it again, for thou art the same yesterday and today and forever. And we pray, Lord, that you would draw many into your kingdom, that you would save on the left hand and on the right, and that your Son would be glorified. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we ask you to do these things and for his glory. Amen.